Hi, and welcome back to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. We know you're busy, and we want to make it easy for you to understand how conflict may likely be showing up in a way that's impacting your team negatively. We've recorded the first three chapters of our book for you to listen to for free. Get your free audio sample at thriveinc.com forward slash free sample. That's T-H-R-I-B-E-I-N-C dot com forward slash F-R-E-E-S-A-M-P-L-E. Hi, I'm Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. And today we have a special guest, John Verico. Am I saying that right, John? You are, absolutely. Thank you. Excellent. He is a journalist, stand-up comic, janitor, actor, consultant, electronics technician, and disco dancer instructor. John Verico still doesn't know what he wants to be when he grows up, but he's learned to experience everything life has to offer, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Former president of the National Association of Government Communications and retired Navy Master Chief with over 40 years as a communication professional in media and employee relations. John provides high-energy, thought-provoking, humorous training workshops, keynotes, and individual coaching for aspiring leaders. He is founder of Share Your Fire and helps people light their motivational torch in themselves and others. Awesome. That's pretty awesome, doesn't it? It does. But tell me, what does it mean to be the president of the National Association of Government Communications? Because right now, government is not communicating too well, so I don't know if that is the same government. (laughs) But tell me a little bit more about that. So fortunately, it was anything but the political type of communication. So I worked in a variety of government agencies like the Department of Environment in uh, Maryland and the Department of Natural Resources and the Department of Homeland Security and agencies like that provide services or interact with the public in some way. And so the communication there is from the agency to the public that is impacted by their activities in some fashion. We've got parks available over here, or we're working on rebuilding the riparian forest in this community and those kinds of communications. There are people in every government agency that do that, mm-hmm. whether yeah. they're at the federal, state, local level, whatever. And so what this was, an organization where all of us can come together, share what we've learned experientially, help each other through some problem areas. We have people that get us. They understand what we're dealing with when we have a political appointee who comes in and wants to change the flavor of the soup and how you deal with all of that. So that whole, that association was something that I was so excited that I had come across at that point in my career. I had always been looking for ways to interact with others in my profession, but we're all usually isolated. When I was in the Navy, I was one up. So I was the guy on the Navy ship who ran both the TV stations, both the radio stations. I did the newscast at night. I did the shipboard newspaper. I was the ship's photographer, the speech writer for the commanding officer. And when the ship pulled into port, I put on my tour guide hat. I set up a dignitary visit, everything in the communication field. And I was the staff of one. There were so many of us in that kind of predicament. Yeah. And so- What this association did was give us an opportunity to come and learn from each other in a protected environment. And I was so fortunate to have been uh, elected president of that after working with them for so many years. I was thinking about, we work with the, we worked with the National Forest Service and they had a lot of public, because it's like, you have to, around Glacier National Park, where we are, you have bears, you have 
skiers, you have water people, you have other, the topography. It's interesting. But how, Horses. how to get all those people like coming together to agree or getting them to buy into, this is the land that we're going to have for this, that, and right. a lot of the public opinions. And the leave-only footprints. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And of course, and they're smoky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, only, yeah. you got to drop like eight octaves that only you can prevent <laughs> forest fires. I can't believe Susan picked that out of your bio because the disco dance instructor, which we talked about ahead of time, we saw a picture, folks, of him in disco dance days. But how did that even come to be that you were a disco dance instructor? And are you still? So I don't instruct anymore, but if there's a 70s party on the cruise ship, you'll see me out there. (laughs) I actually won a competition a couple of years ago on a cruise ship. Uh, So yeah, fun stuff. It's weird. I was, I'm going to go back because I was a shy kid. Uh, You wouldn't know that from the way I act now, but I was uh, the little guy picked on by bullies in school. And so I never wanted to draw attention to myself because when I did, I just got beat up. As the disco era came out, I was watching like all of these people getting the dates because they could dance. (laughs) And I'm like, I have got to do this. So I practiced. I would watch American Bandstand and Solid, the Solid Gold Dancers came in later on, Soul Train, all those shows, and watch. And I'd see some really cool move. And I would practice like with the coat rack or a broom <laughs> or something. And I hung out with a really good-looking guy because all the girls were attracted to him. And so he'd go over to a table full of girls and go and dance with one. And there's always leftovers, right? So they're waiting their turn with the good-looking guy. So I've got, hey, how about dancing with me in the meantime? And they're like, oh, fine. So they'll get out there in the dance floor with him. They could break out a move. And all of a sudden it was, hey, this guy can move. And then other people came over and said, hey, that was slick. Show me how to do that. And so it just evolved very rapidly from there. And I just started teaching people. And I actually were teaching, was teaching competition disco. But a pathway out of, it sounds like, shyness or even being bullied to actually engage and find your place. Yeah. And that was it. I didn't think when I was younger and I was the little guy, I was only 5'3", weighed 110 when I graduated high school. Wow. So I was the little guy. And looking at that period of time, I didn't think I had a lot to offer the world. And so I didn't, I hadn't found my niche. I didn't know what I was good for or good at. And then when I got good at being a dancer, I found something that I could do. But I realized also it wasn't the attention to me that I was enjoying, I actually enjoyed helping the other people learn the move more than anything else. So my people, the people I taught went into the competitions. I very rarely was in a competition myself. I pushed them into the competitions and watching them win and succeed was what it gave me joy. So founding your development, your roots for wanting to help people develop as leaders and be who they are. and That's exactly it. I I vowed that no one should ever feel the way I was meant to feel when I was a kid. Yes. And so throughout my career, I have, I think we've all experienced this in various places, right? You experience those bully bosses or those mean directors or whoever it is. And then there are some who are really good, really encouraging, make you feel like you matter. And then we choose those behaviors that we want to emulate. And so that's where I've positioned myself, helping people to choose those better behaviors to create just better relationships, better work environments, et cetera, et cetera. I love it. Cool. Did you want to carry on? I was wondering how you got from disco dancer to where you are today, because in there is a lot of different... Talk about that. 
again, a bunch of craziness, right? Being a, a disco dancer meant I was out at night mm-hmm. and coming in late. I did more than just the dancing. I, I did, I tended bar. I started doing all kinds of stuff working in the nightclub environment. I was a roadie with a band. And then in between some of the band sets, I'd get up and do some comedy stuff. As I started to become more and more self-confident, I started expanding and doing more and more stuff. But the problem was I couldn't hold a day job because I was so used to coming in late at the time when most people were getting up for work. People are getting up for work. I'm still at the diner party and from last night. And it's something in the back of my mind, and maybe it's the generation I grew up in, but that kind of life was, is not a real career. And so I kept trying to hold day jobs. I became a journalist because I love to write and I went to school and I got a, was working on journalism and I started working as a freelance reporter, but I was not reliable. I couldn't get up in the morning or I couldn't show up on time. So by the time I got there, the news was over. And so I said, all right, I need to get some discipline in my life. And I looked at the military as that option. I didn't want to go and and crawl through the mud. So the Marines and the Army were right out. I got a fear of heights. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be in the Air Force. I knew how to swim. So I figured, oh, the Navy might be the place to go. And that's how I wound up in the Navy and was a Navy journalist. And just that whole career expanded on all the communication skills. I got to do everything from broadcast journalism, where I was doing radio and television, also writing newspapers, the photographer, speech writer, all of that stuff, and then also doing the public affairs, public relations stuff. So I'm the dude calling the reporters and saying, hey, we got something newsworthy going on, or answering the query when something happened on board the ship that we have to respond to. So all of that kind of stuff, I realized that I enjoyed doing all of these little pieces. And so when I left active duty in the Navy, I sought opportunities where I can apply all of those skills. And so I wound up in government agencies and doing uh, public affairs. And that's how that whole part of the career evolved. That's fascinating. How long were you in the military? Total of 25 years between active and reserve. I did 10 active and then 15 more in the reserve. Wow. That's great. I retired as the last master chief journalist in the Navy. Wow. Down to you. They converted, they took the photographers and the journalists and combined them and made something called mass communication specialists. Okay. And so I was the last one to hold that moniker for a journalist at the, the Master Chief rank. What a great training for you, though, in yeah. life to be able to do all those different pieces. It's just really and, wonderful. And you got discipline. I hate to say this, Susan, but not really. I still can't get up in the morning. I just, my biorhythm never adjusted. Oh, even with the whole active duty where you had to get up that time, right? Nope. Nope. I'm a five snooze alarm kind of (laughs) guy. And before they had snooze alarms, I would actually have multiple alarm clocks in my room that I'd have to get up, walk to, turn off, wind up back in bed anyway. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it was bad. (laughs) It still is. (laughs) Our work is around conflict and helping people lean into conflict and to get to better results. How have you dealt with conflict either in your coaching people or even in your journalism pieces? Talk about that if you're willing. Like I said, we look at the behaviors of different people that we encounter, right? And then we choose to emulate or adopt some of those behaviors, right? And we've all had 
the horrible bosses and, and all that kind of stuff. We also have had people who encouraged and inspired us. And so I chose to emulate those people that were more encouraging and inspiring and made me feel like I mattered. And I started to apply those not only to what I was doing myself, but also how I was helping to guide other leaders, people who were aspiring into leadership positions. And as I got more senior and senior people would listen to me, I was able to start coaching this, the executives and say, hey, maybe this is not the right way to approach this and let's work it this way. And so that's just really helped me to evolve. Disco lessons. You were given just like before. It sounds like you... You went back to showing people how to move. Yeah, showing people how to move. And actually, you enjoy teaching people to go out there and do the moves more than you liked going out to do them. So it makes sense that it sounds like you took on helping leaders be able to learn how to how to do the dance and go out and lead like that. Carry on. (laughs) No, but that's really it. And so I looked at all of those things that we need to motivate ourselves. No, I know I am. I feel motivated when I feel that I'm trusted, and when people give me appropriate opportunity to try things and to learn and to grow, and when people respect me as an individual, when they communicate openly with me, and more importantly, when they treat me with humanity and treat me like a fellow human. Do what I do when I work with others and and help them with their communication and leadership skills, and that's trust, opportunity, respect, communication, and humanity which is an acronym for TORCH. What does TORCH stand for? I love it. So it's trust, opportunity, respect. Respect, communication, and humanity. I love that. And the whole goal is to help people to create that kind of environment, not only for themselves, but for others around them. And it's to get people to reach inside themselves and light that fire Mm -hmm. and then take that lit fire and share that fire with others. Can't see him, but he's got like this flashlight that's lighting up his whole thing. No flashlight, empty hands. So what was that? That That is called cheesy dad magic is what that is. (laughs) Fascinating. Maybe we'll use that. (laughs) The torch on there. I love it. Trust, opportunity, respect, communication, and humanity. And I think it's so important because in business, when people, when leaders are leading and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for these results. And you just got to do it. And I start treating you like an object. I'm treating me like an object and all humanity goes out. I'm just telling you what to do so you don't have opportunity per se. So it really can break down. And that stress is really what, because I think we all want to be good people and support others and make an impact. But when we're under stress, we become very self-focused and you're just need to serve me. Mm-hmm. We start to put up preservation walls, protective walls, because we feel like we're under attack. So we start barriering ourselves off from each other. Yeah. That just makes it worse. I know that I don't function well in a micromanagement kind of environment. Yeah. If you tell me what the goal is and let me work to achieve it in the way that I know how to get there, I will succeed. I'll knock it out of the park. But if you're going to sit there and tell me what to do step by step, now, so that even in disco dancing, I'll tell you the same thing. I didn't show people step by step unless they needed that level of instruction. I showed them the basic moves to get in that general category. I showed them what we wanted the end result to look like. And they made their own modifications for what was comfortable with them for their body type and all that other stuff. Yeah. Now, you do, though, bring up an interesting point, which I think because even though I'm probably in 
a little more like you. I don't really like for someone to tell me how I have to do things to get to where I want to be. However, there are people who really want, need, and desire to have that kind of directive management. And this is where I think the idea that being inclusive comes into play. How do you actually make it possible for these different styles to exist? And I would have guessed, based upon that some of you mentioned being a comic, which is one way to bring in humor, because that will often relax the tension that can show up when there are differences in the room. What? Appropriate humor. And also really recognizing someone else may not have, because we see leaders who are like, I like people who are autonomous. And that's great for you, but some people (laughs) don't want that kind of autonomy. They want clarity and they want really clear directions. Yeah. And that I think is where the conflict becomes interesting if you can use it. Not just the key is to be able to recognize the differences. Yeah. You're going to have you're going to have some people that need step-by-step clear direction. You're going to need other people that just need a vision. But there are so many times too that leaders don't always communicate the vision. They don't let you know what the outcome is. They tell you what that halfway point is, but they don't tell you what the final outcome is. What really matters more than anything else is to understand the why to get to where we're going to go, right? What is it that we're trying to accomplish and why we want to accomplish it? And that will help to then focus. There's that old adage that says, if you give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. And if you teach a man to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime. And that is brilliant Mm -hmm. and very deep, but at the same time, it's not quite accurate Mm -hmm. because there's still a step missing. Because you can teach him everything he needs to know to go fishing, how to set the hook, where to go, what time of day, all that great stuff, what kind of bait to use. But unless he understands why he should go fish, he won't do it. So somewhere along the line, he has to understand fish is food. And if you don't go out there and catch your own fish, you're going to starve. If that is not made clear, he still, there's nothing to make him go fishing, even though you taught him how to do it. I think you're getting at that, helping people identify the intrinsic motivation, like the intrinsic of why I want to do it. Not because you're telling me externally, I'm going to please you, but what is this for me? And I imagine you work with motivation. Do you want to say anything like that's part of what you're saying right now, but if there's more you want to say on motivation? And that's exactly it. Really what it comes down to is a couple of things. The first is that everybody, I I like to call it the radio station, right? We all listen to the same radio station, WIFM. Again, you got to drop into the radio voice. We all have different tastes and we think differently, but we all have this same radio station that we tune into. And it's a way to filter everything through. That radio station, WIFM, is actually an acronym for what's in it for me. And everything around us, we filter through that station. Right? We are determining whether or not we're going to buy that product or pay attention to that commercial or listen to that person or care what mom says or whatever it is. You're, we're deciphering that through, we're putting that through that filter. And then understand, along with that comes the concept of understanding value. People are not going to make a choice to take action unless they know what the result of that action is. And what value that end result has to them. Yeah. Like I say, hey, you want to work overtime this weekend? I'll give you an extra 200 bucks if you work on Saturday. And you can say, hey, I could use 200 bucks. Value added. I'll do that. 
Or you can say, no, I've got a thing with my family. My family means more more to me than the 200 bucks does. No, I'm not available to work. You're going to make that decision based on the value of what is being dangled in front of you. And I think more now in the workplace, whether it's the younger generation, they have their own valuing. Like it used to be like you do it like in the military, like you have no choice, you're, you joined up or old school leadership, you just do it, you don't question. And now I think it's more important for leaders to actually recognize what do my people value individually, because they're all different and how to communicate to them. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that I learned a lot of what I know about leadership being in the military. Yeah. I learned from, uh, like I said, from observing the different leadership styles around me, but actually a lot of this stuff was actually taught in military leadership. But there is a time when directive leadership is mandatory, okay? Like you're out there in a battlefield and you're being shot at and you've got to get up and, and shoot back. There's no time for, oh, what's going to motivate you to get up and, and fire right, right. back? Right. 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 Yeah, there are things that you don't have time for that. So there are some times when directive Leadership is really important and is appropriate. And But other times and most other times, there's room for that flexibility and that understanding that everybody is going to be going to approach things just a little bit differently. And it's okay, as long as they're all helping to move towards the same direction. And it's yeah. just a matter of keeping people moving in that same direction. I have to say I'm an army brat. And I do know that the military, though, they're always looking at how can we optimize humans in our force. And so they are like the things, how they train the SEALs. There's so many great uh, culture code, all sorts of different things about how, how to help. So I think you did get good training. <laughs> One of the most important factors that they teach in the military is camaraderie and taking care of your fellows. So that I thought was really important as I was coming up through the ranks in the military. It was not about me. It was not about my achievements, my ranks, or anything else. It was about the success of the unit mm -hmm. together as a whole and helping each other to reach that achievement goal. And yeah. even more so, as you got into the senior enlisted ranks, it was about training the troops and bringing them up. And so many of the junior enlisted people that I had working for me over the years moved on to become officers. I had a young petty officer who I helped to train years ago was a commander later on and she pinned my master chief pin on and she came and she she led my retirement ceremony. Oh, it's interesting because when you say that, that makes much more sense to me because I lost me a little bit earlier when it was, what's in it for me? The radio station. Because I was like, doesn't sound like what I've been hearing from you, which now you are bringing in the other side. It's not always about what is, what's in it for me. There's a lot of how do we actually work and collaborate together so that we create something better? Because right. that, I think sometimes we do get lost in the what's in it for me and we lose sight of, wait, I'm a part actually, of something. I'm a part of something. And how do I actually ensure that what we're doing together is valuable for the collective, not just myself? Yeah. And that's exactly it. And putting it back into that radio station, there is value to you for being part of this unit and to succeeding together. Yeah. Yes. There's that, there's a saying that says it's not everything is a competition because there can only be one winner. So the world is about success because we can all succeed together. Yes. You know, I have to tell you back in the military, my dad was in Vietnam and, and they didn't have, they sent people over individually. You are not part of a unit. And then now it's the unit goes to Afghanistan or wherever it's going. And you're and it, it's because of they found 
that really that unit cohesion. It makes me care about you. And so I'm going to work more effectively with you versus, hey, I'm just trying to get out of Vietnam right now. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That, and that was really, but they, during that time too, they really didn't focus too much on on creating that 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 unit feel. Right. They just needed bodies over there. They barely had time to train them and just get them on out there. And yeah. so you wound up, even though you went through basic training or whatever, you wound up being stationed out on the front with people you've never met because you're just a new body coming into backfill. Yeah. Yeah. And how terrifying that must be for a young soldier to do. Which is why there are so many veterans who have PTSD and other ailments because of it. I'm going to take it out of the war zone. Okay. So that's that. Good. I think my dad's- Let's get happier. But no, the only reason, because I think the same thing can happen in business. When, if companies don't get good at actually making sure people understand, because you bring in individual employees, they're yes. coming in out of nowhere. And if they don't actually get inspired, bought in, and feel like they're a part of something, it's a problem. And, and with remote work, that can happen even more because I'm, you're, my company is basically just behind the screen. They're not yeah. real humans to me yet. Yeah. <laughs> and there are so many people that I've worked with in recent years that we never met in person. Yeah. And wow. we, and when we do finally have that opportunity, it's, oh, wow, you're taller than I thought. Oh, John, you're fatter than I thought. And even that idea of really understanding why are we in this together? And that could be a hard thing to translate across, at least in the military, there was this, okay, we're in it for the country or something. Yeah. That kind of got lost a little in Vietnam. But other than that, normally in a business, you really have to help people know, why are you a part of this team? Why does it matter? What are you doing? How do you build that in? And just like you were saying, leaders often start with just the midpoint or just do this. And so they're missing because it's all the context is clear for them. But the whole idea about a leader, you have to like you communicate six, seven times before you get people to like pay attention, Mm -hmm. understand, digest it. And then how do you foster a cohesion amongst the the unit and the people working together? The whole and that's the individual human that has a life outside of the nine to five. Right. Yes. And probably all of those other things are a lot more important than what they're doing in that nine to five and much more important in their lives. I think a lot of businesses found that out when things went so remote because people went oh, back, yeah. wait a minute, I could, I'm at home now and I could, I've got my kids here, I've got family, I've got, and I could still do my work. I'm not going back. <laughs> so, there, there've been so many issues that have come out of this. There's two sides of it, right? There's I, the okay, I don't ever want to go back to the office again thing, but there's also that feeling of separation and you don't feel as cohesive with the rest of your unit as you used to. You're seeing them every day on camera necessarily, but it's still not quite the same thing. There's an other side of that too, in that people have really lost their work-life balance because if you're working from home, your home now has become your office and it has taken on that that mind, that part of your mind that says, this is my, this is where I work. If you live in a small place and you don't have a, an area of your house that, where you can actually separate out as your office, that kitchen table now becomes an undesirable location because that's where you normally have your laptop during the day. Or you have it sitting on a side table or whatever, you walk past it and it's eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night, or you're heading to bed and you notice there's a new email. Yeah. And so you're still working. So we've lost that, that a, a lot in work-life balance. Yeah, the division. Sure. Hey, John, we could talk to you for yes. a long time, but how can people learn more about you or get in touch with you if they want to after this podcast? Thank you. I am all over social media, except for TikTok. Maybe I'll break out on TikTok and do some disco dance lessons. But no, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. 
And of course, I have a website, which is really easy, www.johnverico.com. And so I'm I'm pretty easily found out there. Excellent. Cool. Excellent. And my phone number is fun. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. It's 240-257-NERD. Love it. You're a self-proclaimed nerd, huh? Love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. This is delightful. And our dogs were just barking. But we think it should be great. So (laughs) they just bring in the humanity of the animals in the house. You know what? What helps, it helps us make that connection to each other, whether it's dogs barking or the cat looking across the the keyboard (laughs) or the toddler coming into the room without their diapers on. So much of that is just, has actually helped us to connect on a more human level, even if it's not the professional level. Exactly. It actually, I think, has been very helpful in society. It yes. helps us share our fire. There you go. Oh, I like that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Take I'm care. not sending you a check, though. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. We hope you found today's episode valuable. If you want to take some of what you've learned on today's episode to the next level, check out our new step-by-step, easy-to-use team kit to get your team from avoiding conflict to discovering the beauty in conflict. Go to www.thriveinc.com forward slash team kit to learn more. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash T-E-A-M-K-I-T.